Well, it didn't look like a one-horse town, but try finding a decent hair jelly. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy Friday, TGIF indeed. This is Gary Nance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. And we are joined at the board by our producer. We like to call him bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. Benny, how are you today, sir? Doing very well. Has it happened yet? Has it happened yet? Uh, no. no. It has not happened <laughs> yet. <laughs> we're going to just, we're going to draw it out a little bit more just for fun. Right. So yeah. Here. Some crazy stuff happening in your neck of the woods. Your, your state in particular. How are you feeling that's, around that's, all we that? We call that Friday. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Our, Just a typical wrapped, day for us. <laughs> we, we wrapped it up early, you know. And uh-huh. We had the hanging chads in 2000. We just can't be embarrassed for every single, you know, presidential election. So Yeah, you've got to one-up from the last one, right? Early. Yeah, you've got we to just, one it up. <laughs> we decided to spread around the opprobrium this time. Right. <laughs> let's, some other states let, were. Yeah, let some of the other states take the heat. Wow. Really incredible stuff. Uh, going on, and we may touch on that, but we have other fish to fry oh, here today. so excited today. We have the, the honor, really, of talking to a gentleman named Harry Thomason. He is, as I said in Facebook and on Twitter, I was putting out the social media last night about Mr. Thomason's first visit to Manson Mitchell there, and I said, we get to talk with a legit TV mogul. Oh, very good. Mogul is not a word that should be used lightly. Very good. Let Neither me... should legit, for that matter. That's true. That's <laughs> we true. have some mad props for Harry. Why don't we? Do. We're wild about Harry. So We're why wild don't you about do Harry. Those? Harry Thomason is the Hollywood award-winning producer and director, best known for the tremendously popular and iconic TV hit shows *Designing Women*, *Evening Shade*, and *Hearts of Fire*. His TV miniseries mini *The Blue and the Gray* won the prestigious People's Choice Award. In his wonderfully produced podcast series, The Story You Never Heard, Harry vividly brings to life fascinating moments, intriguing events, and thrilling lesser-known stories about people and places in history. Welcome to Manson Mitchell, Harry Thomason. Well, Gary and Suzanne, thank you guys for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure. Oh, just wonderful to have you. And I would be remiss, sir, if I did not take advantage of this opportunity, though it's a bit in advance of the wonderful day. But on the last day of this month, you are going to have yourself a big birthday, and we wanted to wish you an early happy birthday. Well, thank you. Uh, I just try not to count birthdays anymore. (laughs) But remembering the days is fine. (laughs) That is incredible. You know... Harry, when I looked at one bio and your publicist, uh, Carol, was uh, wonderful to work with, then I see another one here. When I went to the website for The Story You Never Heard, it's actually thestoryyouneverheard.com. Let me go ahead and embellish just a bit here. I think it enhances the story of Harry Thomason, quite frankly. A college scholarship athlete, Thomason was a football coach, art instructor, and history teacher in secondary schools for six years before he decided to pursue filmmaking as a career. Now, there is a first question. Okay, this is so remarkable, Harry Thomason. My dad was a high school teacher his whole career. 
He did not entertain dreams of being a filmmaker, however, a writer, producer, director. And you did that. Mozart Productions is very famous and very justly so. How did that happen? You had a perfectly fine career as a teacher and a football coach, but Hollywood was calling? You know, it wasn't so much that Hollywood was calling, but I was always interested in photography. And when I was 12, my mother surprised me with, she turned a closet into a dark room. And, you know, so I was always interested in the area. And I was coaching in Little Rock at a high school. And the, I was not the head coach, but the head coach was leaving. And I got a chance to go be a graduate assistant at a university. And I just decided I probably didn't want to do that. If I was ever going to get into photography or the film business, I should. And the same day, I happened to read in the paper about a a guy that had an ad agency in Little Rock, where there were many, more ad agencies and service stations. He had a guy running for governor, and I just went down to his office that afternoon, and I couldn't get my way in. He didn't want to talk to me, but finally his assistant got him to talk to me, and I I came in. He was very rude. He said, okay, sit down, tell me your idea, and get out. And I said, I want to do the spot for this guy for governor. And I showed him a storyboard I did because I did have a little art expertise. This is how I would do it. And he says, well, that's fine, but why in the world would I hire a football coach to to do ads for a guy that's running for governor? And I said, because, and I talked to my uncle, who was rather, you know, well-heeled, and he agreed that if I would do the spot and the guy didn't like it, they didn't have to pay for it. So I told him that, and he said, oh, well, this is the silliest thing I've ever heard, but I've got, a, I've got a few days. So, yeah, you get the candidate. It's a Thursday. And he said, you get the candidate Saturday morning, and you get him for six hours to do this spot. And so I went back home, and I, I mean, I went back to get there in time for track practice, and I told the coaching staff, I said, guess what, guys, you're a film crew. And I explained everything we needed to do. We went down to the place that, developed all our football films, which we filmed every game. And they loaned us a camera, showed us how to load the camera, which was the most difficult part. And uh, we rehearsed, and uh, we got a couple of our key athletes to come in because we needed some grips and runners and so forth, too. And uh, late on Friday night, we rehearsed again exactly what we were going to do. We found the location. And the guy came out uh, on Saturday morning. But I did go, I must say, I went to Kmart on Thursday night, and I bought us all these shirts, I mean, these uh, nice T-shirts that were like, uh, had a sheen to them and everything. And I want to say, it was the last well-dressed film crew I ever had. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so the guy came out, we walked through his paces, and it involved horses and a big ranch and everything, and and he did it, and he was the president of a big insurance company, national insurance company. And he left, and, and we turned the spot in to the guy, and I went down and showed it to him. And he said, okay, I'm going to buy. You're going to do the ads for this guy. And that was how I got in the film career. And the, later, years later, I was speaking, and I think it was, it was Washington, D.C., to a national insurance agent's gathering. It was during a political time and so forth, and there were a couple thousand people, and I got up and I told a longer version of that story, 
that was his own kid. But uh, and at the end, the guy came up on stage that was going to make the keynote address, and it was the guy that I'd filmed. And he said, Harry, I never knew any of that until right now, that you were the guy. Oh, my. So it was a small world. But And so oh, I, I was yeah. in the film business. What a great story. What a great story. I think it's so encouraging for anyone who dreams big, but they wonder if they can follow through. Harry had the follow through. I mean, it's wonderful to indulge a dream, but when you start to turn it practical, you've got to deal with, well, let's face it, egos. You've got to deal with budgets. You've got to deal with competing ideas, creative differences. But the dream keeps burning brightly. I find that inspirational, Harry. I truly do. Well, it was I worked for that same agency and other agencies and for years after, after that. And so it was good. But this guy gave me my start. And did I uh, understand you to say that the ad that you were doing, the what you were doing was for a politician, for somebody running for office? He was running for governor. Running for governor. Because, yeah. um, I mean, it's interesting how that also started kind of early in your life, your interest in politics. One of the questions that I had regarding the podcast, the, the story you never heard, um, is I was wondering if it was inspired by your background as a teacher, because, you know, you have a lot of interest when you're a teacher. Yeah. When I was a history teacher, I loved, and, and I later, you know, went to graduate school in history, but I, I never, you know, I never did anything with that. Uh, but, and I used to, but I'd tell my students, I had, I knew a few of these stories forever because my grandfathers told them to me. And uh, uh, we'd spend the night at either one of our grandfathers, my brother and I, or some of my cousins, and we'd sleep in front of the fireplace on pallets. And he would stay in there with us till about midnight telling stories. And uh, they were good, true, historical stories. And sometimes it would scare us to death. But uh, so I, I would tell these students to, I mean, these stories to my students, and they loved them so much. So I'm just getting back around in the past year to... Uh, doing those for other people to hear, you know. And, and, and you can find them on anchor.fm slash T-S-Y-N-H, and that'll get you right to them. But any major platform will take you right to the story you never heard. You, you know, Harry, you anticipated my, my next question already, and that was, you know, where do all these great stories come from? And you're saying some of them were stories that you heard, from your grandfathers, but now that you are doing these every single week, where do your stories come from? It can't be just all stories you heard as a child. No, I mean, we are in constant research. You know, on Sunday night, I start researching for the next story. And I, and I have a pile of always 10 or 20 that are possibilities, but they've got to be entertaining. They've got to be a little different. And so it takes quite a bit of search. I have a lot of friends that just, they love the podcast, and everybody seems to love listening to it, and uh, uh, and they send me possibilities of stories, so then we research them. I've got another guy that I said, uh, David, check this out to make sure this is, we can prove all of this, because we don't want to tell stories that are stories. We want to give you true facts. Right. History, not fables. 
Right. And, but we, no doubt about it, we embellish them like the story this week uh, that just went up last night is about the uh, Archduke Ferdinand and, and you know, and, and him being shot and and how that happened just by such coincidence. He almost escaped, but then he turned back and, and you know, and how we think about that, but then we have to think about what that caused. I mean, it caused World War One to start. I mean, it within two weeks. And it caused other countries to invade. And by 1917, it enveloped us. And when we went to join World War One, not many people know this, but we took a little germ with us from a little town in Kansas. It's not even any longer there once the railroad went away. And uh, it finally infected over 500 million people on this earth killed 700,000 in the United States. and But we never got the blame for bringing that because a couple of European writers wrote that it was called the Spanish flu and the name stuck. And so we covered that in, a, in an earlier uh, podcast about yes. the Spanish flu. Uh, Gary and I listened to that this morning. The in coincidence. Yes, in preparation for our, our show today. Fascinating story. And it just, I'll tell you, Harry, there, I've studied some about World War II. Nobody would accuse me of being an expert but, uh, or anything about military history. But there are certain aspects of history that just fascinate me. And one of them with regard to the Great War, which became subsequently known as World War I. It's fascinating to me, Harry, that when you talk to historians, you actually you wouldn't think this would be the case. I mean, World War II was pretty clearly laid out, let's face it. But World War One, there it's hard for any historian I've ever heard discuss the Great War to lay it out in a way that seems unequivocal. It seems like there was a confluence of events and a coincidence, which became the accelerating event, the Archduke's Ferdinand, Archduke Ferdinand's assassination. But there were also strong nationalistic tendencies on the part of various nations. I said to Suzanne, after we listened to your podcast called The Coincidence, for those who will want to listen in, fascinating production, as always. There, But I said to Suzanne, it sounds to me, I mean, they're so, it's so convoluted, World War I. It's like Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated, and Germany was so upset by it, they declared war on France. They've been looking for a reason to declare war on France. There but, you go. But, it, but it's so true. And, and and the Great War, we just all sort of stood in one place and, and, and tried to kill each other. You know, It never moved much continent to continent. I mean, we just got bogged down in the middle of Europe and just stayed there for pretty much the entire war. It is. It was strange. Your, your podcasts cover uh, events, historical events, and uh, do they tend, do you think, to be a little bit political, or d is that just uh, a byproduct of what it is that you're covering with various people and, and places? Well, I think it's just a byproduct because we try our best not to make them political. They are, there's a story that, about a former first lady I mean, and it was long ago. It was nobody that's alive or anything. And that would have been a good story. But then I, I read it, and it became so political and would be called that that we decided to, to not do it. You know, when Gary and I were preparing for the show today, we were saying, wouldn't it be wonderful if Harry would tell some of the stories? And the thing is, 
by telling the stories, you kind of give away the ending. <laughs> and, and I know. They, they all sort of have a... We try to have them have some sort of Hitchcockian ending. Yeah. There you go. We can't always. But yeah, so it's hard to, it's hard, it is hard to tell. But uh, you can certainly go to you know, anchor.fm, the story you never heard, just the initials of the story you never heard, and find them all and listen. And, uh, and we'll tell you they're entertaining. Um, some of them are showbiz. I mean, like. Nobody, nobody understands that somebody that was acquainted and had dinner with Hitler came to the U.S., became a famous United States actress, and but she thought of ways to help us whip Hitler, and and she was also an inventor and a scientist, and the product that she invented in the 1940s led to the Internet today. And the Internet would not have been possible without her invention. Now, so I didn't hear that, that one, but I'm going to because Gary and I have been listening to your podcast like little pieces of candy. They're not overly long. They're not hours long. Some of them are... Eight are, to 12 minutes. Right. They're relatively short and fun to listen to. And the great thing is if, uh, on my podcast app, I had my world exists on an iPad. I've just gotten used to that for the last 10 years. Right. And what I find is that if I cue them up, I can start... With, like you start anywhere and it just segues into the next, then the next, and you get to listen to them on a loop, as it were. That's a particularly enjoyable way to take in all of this information that was obscured for a long time until Harry Thomason brought it to light in a particularly appealing way. You help people commit a lot of these formerly obscure events and people to memory. And I think that's one of the great services you do. And it's the kind of thing you'd expect from a passionate history, history teacher. History teacher, right, right. Well, I, it, also, I also you know, like we that keep you've them got in sound effects age. in there, too. Lots of them. Well, we, you know, we don't do what we could do. I think, oh, man, we could do this. But we just don't have the money to do that. But we try to make sure effects are in, music's in, uh, and, and all the things you need. And we keep them in that 8 to 12 minute range because we want them, if you're going to go out jogging, okay, listen to one of these or listen to two of these. It's not like you have to read the next chapter to find out the next piece of information. All of them are self-contained. And once you've heard the 8 to 10 minutes or 8 to 12 minutes, then you're through with that story. And so we think that helps too. As I think about some of the titles, there we have the opportunity because uh, when I interviewed Harry Thomason before, ladies and gentlemen, on the same station, it was American Road Trip Talk, and I had less than a half hour to get through a lot of material, so I was hustling along. Here we can take it at a bit more leisurely pace, fortunately for us. And I think of the stories you tell that, that need to be appreciated in context. One of the ones you told on Trip Talk that I would really appreciate, even in outline form with some details built in. Please share. We've got time, about another eight minutes. They're about the length of a, a story you never heard podcast before we go to our break there. But if you wouldn't mind, give our listeners some taste of what it was like to be alive at the time when there were people in the water at a pivotal and tragic time in more ways than one in American society. Well, you know, everybody thinks of the <clears throat> Titanic as the greatest national maritime or, or include that involved the U.S. of all times. I mean, since it was headed to the U.S., but that's not true. 
there was an even more even more people docked and on a, a riverboat called the Sultana. And it was going upstream to to Cleveland. No, it was going upstream to Cairo, Illinois, from Vicksburg, Mississippi, carrying all prisoners of war, Union soldiers, and some families that had been released and people that had just booked a regular boat. Uh, there was a guy, uh, the co-captain of the boat, he was told, by Grant, get every person you can on that boat and get them upstream. But Grant didn't realize what he was going to do. And Grant said, we'll pay you $2.50 a person. And so the the boat was certified to carry 300 people. He crammed almost 3,000 people onto the boat. Oh, my and the goodness. the thing started upstream and <clears throat> reached Memphis, then kept sailing. And about, in, about 3 in the morning, between 2 and 3 in the morning, Nine miles upstream from Memphis, the boiler exploded, and it just put people out in the water. It killed hundreds. The initial blast did, and it just lit up the sky. And this guy that owned a plantation runs out and sees the fire. He used to own a plantation and had slaves, but had released them, but the slaves were still living there. And he ran outside, and he saw the thing, the flames, and his ex-slaves came out, and, and, and he just said, guys, uh, what are we going to do? And they all said, let's go get them. And so they had a lot of rowboats, and they rowed out all night long and rowed the, you know, the Union soldiers that were alive and people back back to the shore. And, you know, and there was a, a, a Confederate lieutenant on his way home to Louisiana that saw the explosion and did the same thing. There was happened to be a boat where he was, and he started by noon, by, by daybreak, Bodies were beginning to float back past Memphis. Everybody could see the glow during the night, you know. And all the the women of Memphis gathered their petticoats and so forth, and they brought them down to the river. And volunteers and doctors used the used the petticoats as bandages and as also to swath the dead and so forth. And over eighteen hundred people were killed. And it was it was the greatest maritime disaster involving the U.S., and but nobody ever knew about it. And the reason nobody ever knew about it, that was the same day that the U.S. ran John Wilkes Booth to ground and kill him, and so it took up all the newspaper space everywhere. The Sultana got a two-sentence mention in the New York Times, and that was about the only place it got a mention, except in Memphis, a couple of local places. And uh, one of the units from the Union armies had an alligator as a pet, and they kept and he grew while they were in prison in Vicksburg. And when they went back up river, they took him with them, you know, because they were going to take him to the northeast, so because people didn't see alligators much. And unfortunately, the alligator was big enough then to want a lot of food, and so he had a good night. <laughs> oh my! Oh my! <laughs> oh, there is a museum. They just built a little museum. Uh, uh, on the Arkansas side of the river, if you're near, if it's in Marion, Arkansas, a small town, about the Sultana. It's got a lot of stuff from the Sultana and so forth on it. You know. And but that's just another thing. That's the day they ran John Wilkes Booth to ground, and people know that John Wilkes Booth assassinated Lincoln, but most people don't know that John Wilkes Booth's brother Bob saved. Lincoln's son's life months before that. 
Lincoln from certain death. So there was already a connection between the Booth and the Lincoln family. But that story's that's, in there, too. Yeah, that's amazing. The... Um the uh, the place to find it is the story you never heard dot com. Did you want to go ahead and take our break, Gary, or do you want to? Do- yes, I think it's fine. There was something I wanted to mention there. Listen to the hubris coming from me. Harry Thomason is our honored guest of this hour. And Harry, you got me thinking when I started listening to your podcast. I thought, what if I could come up with a story about which really was a story that became eclipsed instantly and where would i find something like that and i think i found it but i want to make sure i have my dates correct and i wouldn't mind not to say pitch it pitch the story so much as just suggest it to you as the kind of thing that you do on the story you never heard we'll take a short break harry thomason is in the house with us actually it's via phone and we have skype going because we live in florida you're in seattle and we're glad you're with us We are Manson Mitchell, and we will be right back after this short break. This is AM 1150, Seattle's home of alternative talk. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to mansonmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mance and Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. What do trees make you think of? Life, longevity, health? There's a reason for that. They're the building blocks of our ecosystems, capable of restoring land and environment while creating stable food systems and economic opportunity. At Trees for the Future, for 30 years, we've worked with smallholder farmers in developing countries to establish sustainable agroforestry methods. Where there was once deforestation and poor agricultural practices, there are now thriving microenvironments we call forest gardens made up of more than 50 species of trees and dozens of shrubs, fruits, and vegetables. Through Trees for the Future's forest garden approach, thousands of farming families have successfully brought their land back to life. A sustainable solution to hunger, poverty, and climate change. Sponsored by Trees for the Future. You're invited to join the movement at trees.org radio. 
On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Harry Thomason, Hollywood Award-winning producer and director of TV hits Designing Women and Evening Shade, to talk about his career and a new podcast. On Saturday, Sakura Sutter, fellow show host at KKNW, joins us for a wide-ranging survey of her very metaphysical life. Bringing you fascinating talk one hour at a time since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Exploring new territory every day. This is Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. That is the theme music from one of my favorite shows, Evening Shade. A place called Evening Shade. Yes, a place that was developed here by our guest this morning, Harry Thomason. Uh, Mr. Thomason, if people would like to listen to... um, the story you never heard or or anything else that you want to tell our listeners now is the time for you to do that. Where can they find that and where can they how can they connect with you? Go to the story you never heard dot com and and most all the big platforms for podcasts and everything, I mean they do carry it and you can find it. Or you can go to anchor dot fm slash T-S-Y-N-H, T-S-Y-N-H, and then you'll go directly to where it broadcasts from. And there's a place to leave uh, notes there, but <clears throat> I, I can, sometimes I keep threatening to get off, but you can also reach me, uh, you can, I'm on Facebook. I, and Very I good. get a lot of traffic there. I think I think I will look for you on Facebook. We're later. going to like that page, absolutely, yep, definitely. And, we'll and play the music I, I from, don't even uh, mind giving you, my cell number, mm-hmm. but I probably shouldn't. But I'll give it to you. It's eight one eight three seven eight one eight two five. But I have to tell you, it stays full most of the time. It'll take me a while to get back to you. Yes, uh, we we've run across that before. <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> Let me, I, and also I'll, I'll give you an email, and that's uh, mine. It's Harry ZT at uh, Mac.com. Harry okay. is in Zebra T at Mac, M A C dot com. Okay. Excellent. Well, very generous of you so to you have ways, open these portals. Right, so you have ways for people to connect with you if they have a story that they think you That's might be right. interested in. Right. Very good. In the course of my work in radio, Harry, I just wanted to mention this. I, I don't want to go too far afield because it, you have mega hits to your credit uh, owing to the creative genius of you and your wife, Linda Bloodworth Thomason. And I would like to spend some time just in appreciation of that fact in, in its various guises, just incredible network television. But I wanted to suggest this to you. I feel like I'm pitching an idea to Harry Thomason here, Suzanne. You said that, yeah. I got the uh, the orderly version of these facts from Wikipedia, font of uh, unimpeachable knowledge that it is. The wow signal, that's what I wanted to mention to you, Harry, The wow signal was a strong, narrow-band radio signal received on August 15, 1977, by Ohio State University's Big Ear radio telescope in the United States, then used to support the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. 
The signal appeared to come from the direction of the constellation Sagittarius and bore the expected hallmarks of extraterrestrial origin. No wonder they called it the wow signal. Well, Harry, I brought that up to a famous astronomer by the name of Seth Shostak, who is very much interested in extraterrestrial intelligence and finding proof of it, receiving it actually, according to his paradigm, receiving these signals. And I thought, wow, I said to him, I think that should have gotten a lot more publicity than it did. He seemed to feel that through normal channels, it was made known. And I remember seeing it on, on network television. It was a very short story. But how would that fit into a podcast? Maybe it doesn't. I don't know there. But Harry, what's interesting about this is the wow signal was detected. And the word in red, wow, was written by the scientist who caught this and realized its possible significance. This narrowband radio signal received on August 15, 1977, there at Ohio State. Okay, so let's go forward one day. You want to talk about stories being lost, suddenly obscure? One day later, August 16, 1977. Anyone? Gary? Okay, Elvis you Presley got... died. Oh, yeah, so, okay, I do remember. Yeah, I mean, one day later. So anything that was going on obviously was going to be swallowed up by the tragic and early passing of Elvis yeah, Presley. Exactly and I, looked at, I said to Seth Shostak, I think that's why it didn't get more publicity. He was skeptical of that, but he's an astronomer, and I'm a guy who looks at pop culture, and I'm thinking that had to have a lot to do with it. What do you think, Harry? Oh, I, I think you're absolutely right, especially because it was, it was Presley. I even have a, I think I have a story. Well, no, that's in my book about Presley, I think. But, uh, but yeah, that is perfectly plausible, and I'm going to look at that story. I mean, we're going to start. Oh, yeah. I'll be listening. <laughs> that's yep. that's an incredible thing, and we've never got one like it again, by the way. As much as they've uh, been listening, and with all of the apparatus available, we've never gotten a signal like right. it. So. Um, that would be a fascinating story in connection with Elvis Presley. Who knows? They say they find him alive all these other places from Burger King to the moon. So he could be sending it out. I don't know. I wanted to ask you, Harry, for uh, uh, we need something encouraging these days. And there's so much to be said about that. But in capsule summary, we're going through an election agony as much as a process. And all of the forces and factors are intermingling in a way which creates a great American angst. That's the way I see it anyway. And I just wonder, would there be any way, with all that we see going on, if, if somebody came to you and they said, Harry, why don't you and Linda put your heads together and come up with a pilot? We need a script for a pilot about a president who succeeds in the 21st century in bringing people together so that if not at the end of the pilot, maybe the end of the series, Americans come together in a very pragmatic and compassionate way to set aside their differences and solve the fundamental issues that have uh, torn this country apart and created a great divide. And this president is the one who can be the president of all the people. Do you think that you and Linda could actually sell a script like that to network TV today? <coughs> Well, you know, it would probably be a little hard unless it was really a great script. And, and I, you know, I'm not the creative brains in the family. I'm only the guy that uh, tries to get to get them 
get things done. But if anybody could do that, my wife, and, uh, and I think it's a good idea. And it seems to me like I read some, uh, something in Variety in the last couple of days that led me to believe somebody is trying to do something like that. But I oh, can really? give you sort of an adjunct area that, uh, that, that we are doing. And that's uh, uh, Linda started, this is going to happen all before the pandemic. And, but Linda is doing a show called Designing Women, the play. And what Designing Women, the play, is about, and she hasn't been able to finish the script because, you know, the election's not, wasn't over, still not over, and she wants to look at how America reacts over the next month or so. But uh, what it basically is, it's a play that takes place in Sugar Bank. It's where the, the women have, have are at such odds with each other over past events we won't hammer it because it'll be out in the future, and you know. But but they decide to split up the split up sugar bakers and all go their own way. And then the play is about how they all find their way back together by the end of the show. And it's a really good story that parallels the story we want to see happen in the United States. And I think people people are gonna they're gonna love it. And it it opens in a theater called Theater Squared in Fayetteville, Arkansas, on April the 15th. Now, we we're under, we understand that could be changed because it's been changed before. But uh, And from there, it's going to do some regional theaters, and then uh, we have a lot of interest in Broadway houses wanting us to come to Broadway, and, and, and we will do that. So, oh, I think that's that would be really, wonderful. Yeah, that's very good. I find many times, Harry, Fayetteville, this, yes, please go ahead. Arkansas, April the 14th. We'll have you take it. And they're okay. going to be really hard. <laughs> People, it seems to me, and I guess uh, I'm as vulnerable to this as anyone else. I almost said I'm as guilty of it as anyone else, but there's no reason to be guilty about feeling nostalgic there. But when we look at history, it, you don't have to go beyond the shallows, it seems to me, to find times that were more hopeful and that had the dynamics of societal progress or a political reconciliation if we could just work the plan after we make a plan. And when I think a lot of what helped you to succeed so brilliantly in the 90s with your, your network television shows, what the characters were relatable. We loved the people who played those roles. I mean, Burt Reynolds in Evening Shade, I mean, come on, and all those wonderful ladies and gentlemen of Designing Women. When that comes together, there are people to whom we look to model the kinds of behavior to which we aspire. That's what I loved about your work. You and Linda came up with, with these products, these, these creative uh, works of genius, really, that help people see another way to look at life. And in the case both of Evening Shade and I think especially Designing Women, there was the factor of the new South, of stepping away from what was before, what was so mournful, what was so regrettable to a hopeful future that not only was hopeful because you felt better about it, but because it offered the ability to be industrious as with designing women. Well, that's true. And we, and there's no doubt about it, that that new South is there, but it's not as well-formed as it should be yet. And we hope to contribute, continue to contribute to that. Now, as far as creative, 
my wife is the, she's the creative master in this family and and uh all those great lines and everything they were I'm proud to say yes I directed those and so forth but they they were written by her and she has that ability but when you think about it there are a lot of episodes of both evening shade and uh, designing women that the networks won't even let you do now because we talked about prejudice in a hard way we talked about a I mean it's funny we have letters from presidents praising a particular show and, and from Mitch McConnell praising a particular show all the same oh, really? show by the way and so uh, uh, it, she has that ability to get to exactly what America's feeling and about how look we can make this okay I think we're on our way now to being okay again. You know, it's just, and I, I have to say, I think Facebook, Twitter contributed a lot to the problem, but I think they can do a lot to solve the problem. And mm. I think you're seeing them gear up to do that. Very good. Yes. Let me just move on to this, Harry, and thank you for that. Uh, let me just ask you plainly. Do you still remember the first time you met Bill Clinton, that first meeting? I do. I do. You're I both from Arkansas, yes? Right, we are. Uh, Is that where you met? 60 miles apart. But <clears throat> my, do- my brother, Danny, who's a retired doctor in Little Rock, he was then, like me, he was teaching school. He had just gotten out of college. He's younger, and he was teaching school. And he would... He was single, and he would go to, uh, uh, like, Shoney's late at night uh, before he to do his work and so forth and settle in. And this other guy started coming in, young guy, and they finally they met. He was going off to Oxford, and, of course, it was Clinton. And so they started, they would just meet there every night and discuss all the world problems and everything. And finally, my brother, my brother tells me about it, and then it's near Thanksgiving. I think it was 1960 three or four, and he calls and says, I want to bring this guy over from Hot Springs. I was already coaching in a little while. <clears throat> so you can meet him because someday he's going to be president. Wow. And to my brother, I said, wait, let me get this straight. You're going to Sony's every night, and you hang around and meet a guy, and you hang around with him, but, but, and he says he's going to be president someday? And I, was, I, I said it in a very disdainful way. He said, no. I just know he's going to be president someday. And so I said, well, yeah, well, go ahead and bring him over Thanksgiving, you know. And he did. And we all met each other, and we had a good time. And uh, and they left and uh, drove to drive back to Hot Springs, where Clinton grew up, of course. And that night, later that night, my brother called, and, and he said, what do you think? And I, I said, I think he's going to be president someday. And what would make you think that at that time, when when everybody was so young? There was just a presence he had, and a smartness he displayed, not arrogantly, but and he just knew he just he knew things. He knew, and and he was not judgmental. And uh, you know, and I would say something about somebody said, "Well, I know that's the way it looks, but now you shouldn't judge him." And so. And so you just he just had all the elements to be to be president. I knew he was going to be president. And a couple of years later, of course, he ran for attorney general. Well, he ran for Congress and lost. And then the next year, he, you know, he became the attorney general. 
And then and was elected governor at a very young age, right? He was elected governor at a very young age. And, this is ex- uh, and he was very a very popular governor, very popular. And uh, I, but that state, and it's my state, and I love it more than anything in the world. But it's not as democratic as it used to be. But right. in uh, Pulaski County, where Little Rock is, and it's bad, well, where the University of Arkansas is, there they're very democratic. But but it's okay. I'm, and I face these people every day on Facebook. And, and and I I love them even though they uh, we don't all agree politically. I mean we we shouldn't hold that against each other. No, of course not. Uh, I find it very interesting today that um, Georgia is so close to going democratic uh, in that way with this election. When well, I think I, it was I, a surprise to everybody, did that surprise you? Well. It then, because I know enough pe- people still in the uh, uh, political arena that do research and so forth. I mean, you know, they just kept telling me, "No, here's the math. And, you know, here's what's going to happen. One candidate is going to have a big surge on Tuesday night, and everybody's going to think that candidate won. And but then, as the mail-in votes start coming in, and the high dense urban area votes starts coming in." you'll see that change. And we believe it will end up the other way. And, uh, and it looks like they were right. Yes, it it's does. It's been fairly I, common I, all along, but I must say it's... Uh, uh, and, 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 you know, and I just... It's not so much, what, party or anything else, but we do need some peace. You know, and it's going to take both sides working together, Gary, like you said, to do that. And I think that that time is a phone. Let's really be Americans now. I totally agree. That Amen. is fervently to be wished there. And I do wish for that. I looked on Twitter. I go, I get a lot of the quick snaps of news and people's reactions to it each morning. And what I found is, and this this I, I find not even so much disturbing as just annoying. I hope that we can get past this kind of pettiness. CNN got word that an internal memo at Fox News is instructing the on-air talent in the event the election is called in Mr. Biden's favor, the talent is being instructed not to refer to Joe Biden as the president-elect. Avoid using that term. Why? I mean, are we really in that place where you can't say, because it will tick off Donald Trump, because there are legal proceedings afoot? It's that learning how to talk to each other, and I think you touched on that, Harry, learning how to talk to each other, what to ignore, what to embrace, where to reconcile, and what to talk through is getting to be far more than just a parlor game or polite conversation in our society, particularly because polite conversation when it comes to politics is in short order. That's correct. That's correct. And we've got to get back there. I was just thinking like, 1992, well, I was on the debate committees in both, and, you know, we'd meet for a debate somewhere, and all of my Republican comrades would be there, and uh, and we would argue and so forth about how we're going to do it, what the height of the stools is going to be, and, and whatever, but, but at night, we'd say, well, let's all go out and eat. We'd pick the best restaurant in the town we were in, and we'd all go out and eat together, laugh and tell jokes, so long after midnight. I mean, it was a different world, you know. And uh, 
the uh, even present, present, uh, you know, um, I'm sorry, I, I, I want to make sure I tell the right story here. Uh, but President Bush, you know, the first President Bush, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. when he wrote a book, he sent it, a copy of it to Linda, and inside he just signed it. Linda, I wish you'd been on my side, George. Oh, I mean, wow. We had come to love the Bushes, you know. Uh, the first, We were all present of the inaugural committee and the first day, inauguration day. We had to go to the, didn't want to, but had to go to the White House for breakfast because we knew all people would criticize them. And so I remember going up, that first time I'd ever been there, going up to the front door of that White House and knocking and thinking, well, the servants are going to open the door and so forth. And they opened the door, and it was George and Barbara Bush. And they, they just said, Harry and Linda, welcome. And they hugged us. And, and, and it was unbelievable. And we love, we've loved them ever since. We love all the Bushes. And Clinton loves all the Bushes. You know, they are all close, and they talk. They talk a lot. And, uh, you know, you can tell the closeness from the various times I've seen them together. Unfortunately, that's usually been at funerals, but you can see where they're mingling and mixing and talking that there seems to be no animosity there. And that is so nice and healthy to see. I love it at the end of uh, when the hockey is playing the Stanley Cup is they're going through all the the various uh, levels of getting to the Stanley Cup when when the team has finally lost their their level one or level two, they mm-hmm. all shake hands. They each team goes to the other team and they shake hands and say, you know it was a it was a good matchup. and And I like that. I said to Gary, I wish I would see that with some of the the other sporting events because it shows you that it's just, a game, and that they really don't hate each other. They're just competitors. And so what you're talking about is people who really don't hate each other. They're competitors, and they see the world differently and, and would like it to run differently. And that's the American way. Exactly. Well, that leads me to ask you, we've got a few minutes left, Harry, so I think, let me just go a little bit deeper into this with you because it, it's such a contrast. We've received clear indication that Mr. Trump should he lose, will not be attending the inauguration of Mr. Biden. Okay, that's a choice. And And yet you just brought out the best of American politics by telling the story of this this friendship budding at first and then deepening between the Bushes and the Clintons. And I guess I'm asking you in a general way, how could something like that happen in the world of partisan politics? They all had good hearts. That's the only thing Uh. I can say. And, and so we need more people with good hearts in power. And I, and I think I think we can do this. We can do this. But we've got to let, not let other governments interfere with us. And I know there has been some government interference. And, but we've got to have candidates that have hearts that are like the Bushes or the Clintons. Oh, very good. And, and I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I, I'm not going to, if the candidate I'm for wins, I'm not going to go on and, and brag about it or rub it in anybody's face because it's not the time to do that. We should all start making friends across the aisle. And I do. And all these people on, on Facebook that uh, come and attack me, <laughs> I try not to attack back. And if I don't attack back, I notice within a few, ex- 
exchanges on Facebook, they changed their tactic too. And so uh, I just believe we have to work together on it. And, uh, but I believe we can change it back to the culture that we all love. You know, we when when we were when like I was doing those debates, um, we with the Republicans would even plan practical jokes on other candidates from time to time. <laughs> you know, nothing bad, nothing hard, but just funny stuff. Because everybody, we just we we love being with each other. You know, I, I, it occurs to me that with what's going on in today's news, you could have plenty of future podcast material. <laughs> For sure. Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, there, yeah, Harry, let me just ask you for this, and this is about a, a two-minute There, a survey here, if you don't mind. But we listened to one this morning. It was very touching. About a guy named Glenn. In the story you never heard, your wonderful podcast, this country, this world needs more guys like Glenn. If you could just give us an indication of what sort of man this was. You know, now I'm going to embarrass myself here, and I'm not. I'm not sure which story that was. Oh, uh, this is the one where he had. Uh, it was mobility was the question of him. Uh, they thought he might have run a four-minute mile or breaking uh, broken the four-minute mile, but after they were getting burned. After getting burned, and they right. couldn't determine that. But this was a man of rare courage. Uh, I, I think I would do that story an injustice if I if I told it because I wouldn't give him uh, the credit. It was Glenn Cunningham, right? Yes, yes it yes. was. Who used to walk around the yard? Yeah, he just well, he was just burned so badly that nobody thought he could make it through life. He just kept working and working. Kids made fun of him when he went to school. He was scarred and burned, and he kept running. I mean, he finally got to where he could run a little bit. He finally got to where he was running every day, and people would see him running through the town, and they couldn't believe how far back this guy came. And then he became one of the greatest milers in track in history. And and nobody in track that runs a mile, they all applaud Glenn Cunningham. And this was a man who was burned so badly they anticipated possibly amputating both of his legs. So at, at the end of that podcast, you said, you know, that we could all use a little bit of courage the way Glenn Cunningham displayed courage. So if we're feeling a little bit uh, put upon or life is a little hard, you know. Dig deep take... for inspiration because exactly. we need heroes. And you will meet some of those heroes arising from obscurity in a beautiful podcast that is owned and operated, as it were, by Harry Thomason. It's called The Story You Never Heard. And you can check it out on all platforms, but also check it out on thestoryyouneverheard.com. Harry Thomason, thank you, sir, for joining us. I hope our paths will cross radio-wise again sometime. It was a joy. They will, Gary, because I'm going to, if I research this story, whenever we get to it some weeks from now, I'm going to ask you to do the voice for it. Oh, my. I will be ready. I'm honored. Thank you, Harry. <laughs> thank you. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. Coming up next, we Christine have Upchurch. Christian Upchurch, followed by the Susan Harmon Experience, and then American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mann. I call her the Upchurch lady. Yes, indeed. And thanks for staying tuned to AM 1150, Seattle's home of alternative talk.